and welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And today we've got a very exciting interview with Nathan Troop all about preparing an audition package. But before we jump into that, I have a couple of announcements. So first of all, the shop is live on our website. Very exciting. Michelle has created an incredible worksheet about how to run your social media accounts. Uh, it's brilliant and beautiful, and you should definitely go check it out, especially if you're just getting into using your social media as a marketing tool for your career. And that is on our website. You can also get access to the worksheets, though, through our Patreon, uh, in which case it's a little bit cheaper. So make sure to check that out. Also important, we've got an IG Live game coming up. We're going to do Who's That Composer in the style of Who's That Pokemon. And we're going to have a, a little prize for uh, whoever is the first to guess our mystery composer. However, if you want to be chosen to play that game, you get primary choice if you are in our Patreon at our $5 level. So, you know, if, you, if you're interested, go and check that out. And then finally, if you haven't, please review us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify or both. Very helpful to us, helps people find us, pushes our podcast out there into the world. We very, very much appreciate it. And it, it means the world to us that you guys to take that extra second to, to help us out. Definitely. Yeah, your reviews are amazing and help more listeners find us. Also, if you guys aren't already following us on social media, we post all of our announcements there first. So if you want to be in the know, you can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram or Twitter at Opera Offstage to access our Patreon stuff. You can also head over to our website, which is opera-offstage.com. So I'm very, very excited. Today we have director Nathan Troop here with us to talk about preparing an audition package, creating a memorable audition, and just feeling really confident in the audition room. So director Nathan Troop has a large resume of standard operatic repertoire, new work premieres, uniquely curated site-specific projects, and distinct collaborations with multidisciplinary artists. Nathan is an absolute advocate for young artists and teaches at the Boston Conservatory at Berkeley and Boston University. Nathan has also worked extensively with different young artist programs, such as Santa Fe Opera, Tanglewood, Glimmerglass, Wolf Trap, Castleton Festival, and he's the resident stage director at Des Moines Metro Opera. And he is also the resident stage director at Des Moines Metro Opera and works with the Apprentice Artist Program. Nathan made his European directorial debut in October 2017 at Ireland's Wexford Festival with his acclaimed production of Rossini's La Scala di Setta, described as neatly dramatized by Opera Today UK and especially well-crafted by Opera Wire. I have had the distinct joy to work with Nathan in several of his classes to work on scenes programs with him at the Boston Conservatory, and I knew when we were talking about preparing an audition package and really feeling confident in your audition abilities, Nathan was for sure the person to bring on. And without further ado, welcome, Nathan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's so great to be here and to see you again and to meet Jesse. Yeah, I'm so excited to meet you. Yes. Yeah, so I've had the wonderful pleasure to work with Nathan at the Boston Conservatory. Um, I took his audition techniques class, which is I learned a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. He's a wonderful teacher, as well as working on some scene programs. So I can definitely speak to Nathan's genius and talent. 
I can speak to Michelle's genius and talent. So <laughs> Wow. Jesse, we're not so sure about you yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out. TBD. There we go. Awesome. So we just kind of wanted to start off this interview with, I think, the question that every single young artist is wondering at all times, which is, what are directors looking for in an audition package? I think putting together an effective audition package that's authentic to where you're at now is just kind of a constant struggle as our voices change, as we mature, as we grow out of and into different roles. So what do you think that you guys are looking for in an audition package? Yeah, I I know for me, whenever I see someone in an audition, I get this sense of how accessible that person is in terms of wanting to work with them, what they might want to do, what they are interested in exploring so that I'm not looking for perfection or for someone to prove themselves to me in terms of what they can necessarily like accomplish in that moment. But it, it's very evident when an artist has spent time and taken great care and attention to detail and specificity of whatever they're presenting. So if maybe you have a dream aria or role that's not quite lined up with where you're at and you're singing something that you might feel either you wish you could move on to the thing you want to sing or you don't know if you're doing it the best. The fact that like you go in there and do it and have spent time with it shows so much and it just makes it all that more interesting to see that performer, but also makes a connection happen and nothing is really fun or worth it if there's no human connection even in the rehearsal process so i don't mean to sound vague i know you get it there's a popular answer like just do what you do sing what you sing best it's like well yeah. what is that <laughs> that's what we don't know <laughs> no right um, no but i think you bring up such a good point which is like it's about can i work with and do i want to work with this person because nobody's kidding that we spend long hours together in a vulnerable setting so you want to be with somebody who is open to ideas and and you can make those connections with to help them connect to the audience. Right. It's exactly right. So I think the vague answer actually gives a lot of info. Good. Good. Yeah. I think even if an aria, and I'm sure you know this as soon as like a singer starts singing, if it's kind of a stretch aria, and obviously the singer is very aware that it's a stretch aria, but I'm sure being able to tell that they've really put the thought and kind of like what we call the pre-work before the, the singing into that aria, then yeah, I'm sure that that really shows you guys a lot that this person is serious. And even though they might know that they're not quite ready to sing the full role or whatever, they're putting in the work regardless. So yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it's all about a, a journey that you're on. And, you know, a certain day that you sing, you could have an aria that you've sung a dozen times in auditions, and it's been amazing. And you could have a not great day. And there's someone who is I'll say like adjudicating that or on the other side of the table hiring you. It is clear when there's those things in life that come up that just make it maybe not an ideal day. You can still tell the worth and gravitas that an artist brings, regardless of whether there's perfection or not, and what their work ethic could potentially be by the way they carry themselves through that. So yeah, that's that all sort of goes into it in terms of supporting the process. Definitely. Yeah. 
I feel so comforted by that answer. Yeah, we're all feeling way better. <laughs> well, and you know, I work with a lot of young singers, too, who are maybe juniors, under upperclassmen, undergraduates who could have one or two really fantastic arias, but the thought of having three or four or five or six is daunting. I often get asked in these classes, which is completely normal, does it have to be an aria? Like, could I sing an art song? And I have a, a background in music and art song, actually, before I really became an opera director. So I am familiar with that repertoire, but also it's storytelling. Your singing that doesn't indicate to me that you couldn't sing opera. It's just as exciting to see people sing any material that is meaningful and that they feel they have something to say. Definitely. Yeah. And for young singers, we pretty much all either have stretch arias or we have gaps where we're not quite ready to sing some of those things. Yeah. And I hope, you know, I can't I can't necessarily make all encompassing statements for, I will say in quotes, the industry, because whatever that is, is also, you know, <laughs> to be determined and to be determined by actually the young singers who are working to forge their career right now. But I guess... The idea of feeling like people need to have a certain specific representation. I mean, of course, you want to see all the many, as many sides as possible from someone that you can get in that audition, both in terms of m musical choices and styles, but also what a character might bring out of somebody. And I, I think there are aspects of the industry that are getting away from this, like, forced five arias and that you have to have something in German and French, and you have to have Mozart, all of which are wonderful components to the canon. But there's a bigger and broader canon out there that, first of all, we couldn't actually get accomplished in a seven or 12 minute audition to cover everything, right? And yeah. so I think it's unfair to put pressure on singers to say you have to be able to sing something that has everything in it and different things work at different times so exactly it's sometimes hard to find that french aria at this point in your journey and it shouldn't and hopefully will not discourage people from feeling like they don't deserve to audition or to sing just because they don't have that niche so that partially has to do with the industry also changing their perspective which i see a lot of i think hopefulness in and that there are people and institutions competitions who are like refocusing recalibrating what they think is a requirement yeah that's that's so true yeah i, I think that's a, especially a struggle for young singers is building an actual package in the way that we've been taught how to build a package when maybe it doesn't have to be that way yeah <laughs> you know Yep. So now that we've kind of talked a little bit about what directors might be looking for, I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the things you definitely should be doing as you're prepping your audition packages for these big auditions. Yeah. And actually, I'm even going to unpack the word package because I had a, a class, one of my first classes this week, and one of one of the benefits to the shakeup that's happening and the reevaluation of everything in our industry, both COVID related and also social justice and the Black Lives Matter, our Black Lives Matter movement in the country is that people are sort of like letting go of what they think they're supposed to know. And this young woman said, can I just ask, like, what do you mean when you keep saying package? <laughs> and it was like, right, it's one of those words that we just sort of figure out. 
So there's, I think, two parts to that. There's the list of arias that you're going to sing being like the package that shows what you do as an artist. And then there's also the package of that includes the materials that you present or have to show up with on that day of the audition. And so part of like a good of studying an audition technique is looking at some of those details. You know, I always say whether you choose Palatino font or Helvetica is not going <laughs> to determine whether or not you get that job. If you can't sing and do a performance that is, you know, worthy of, of your work. I think having the attention to detail so that you show up and you have written materials that are free of typos and that have consistent branding in terms of like what's at the top and your contact all of that to me just shows attention to detail and that someone cares about the business aspect of their of their job that they can take the time to get get it together so to speak and you know show that i care enough about this that i'm going to be sure that i put the accent on the right you know vowel in that title of that piece and that the composer's name is spelled correctly and that the people's names on my resume are also spelled correctly. It just shows that you take care in your work. And it's a chance for you as a singer or a performer to also show this part of you that can be creative in other ways. I realize not everybody is maybe into that design aspect of things, but when you are, I think that that's something that is about who you are. And it lends itself, especially now where all of us artists are having to think of lots of ways that our talents and our skill, skill sets can maybe do many other things. Those things that we used to, I've never read Harry Potter, but I know people call it their muggle job or like your side hustle. <laughs> but now to know yeah. that, I mean, you have to do that and you get to do that for yourself. So if if you enjoy that, then I think that it's a really wonderful thing to see someone come in with a point of view, not just about their music. Obviously, that's very important that they have a point of view about their career and what they want and what they want to put forward in terms of their best foot. Absolutely. That's actually like something that we talk about on the podcast often. I think as musicians and young artists in general, sometimes we put ourselves in this box of I'm a musician and that's what I do. And that's like my contribution to everything when the reality is is that we're people and we're so much more multifaceted than that and being able to take even if you're into like science or business like being able to draw creativity and inspiration from those things and putting them into something as simple as your resume and like how you format it or how you present yourself like you should always be drawing from all aspects of your interests rather than just being like, I'm a musician and that's all I do. You know, I sing good. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly right. And you never know what indirect paths there are out there and where things might lead you. And if you're following sort of your muse that's taking you to the place you should be, you want to have all those things at your fingertips. I think there's an old fashion way of looking at things that used to say like if you can think of anything else you'd rather do you should go do that and that is maybe that did resonate at one point but it unfortunately really narrows in unnecessarily on this idea that you can't do something if you were to happen to like doing something else that you couldn't possibly be gifted at xyz because 
you should only want to be doing A, B, and C. Obviously, it all takes incredible work and dedication, but it doesn't have to be in such a binary black or white this or this. It can be this and this. And we see that now with so many artists stepping up into the industry, taking leadership roles where their training as a musician and singer serve them incredibly well because now they get to be a part of an organization and be part of the the overall process and and have a great foundation which is at the core about making music and art and understanding those things so i'm all for that yeah yeah i've brought up how much i hate that quote <laughs> so you should absolutely have other things that fill you up in life because that's how we learn and we bring new perspectives to the table. If we do nothing but surround ourselves with classical music, then then we insulate ourselves from the things that make perspective. Yeah, and it's about reality. I mean, if we had all believed and subscribed to that, it would mean that during a time, while as unexpected and as they say, unprecedented as this, it would mean no one should be singing or coming back to singing because you're actually being forced by something, by a, another greater thing than you, we're all having to stop. So that doesn't mean we all die. We're all survivors and humans, and we're realizing there's lots of things to do. And when under, I will say like, quote unquote, normal circumstances, there's times where, you know, you might have a lot of work ahead of you, and then you have downtimes. It doesn't invalidate you as an artist, but it also means you might have time to fill. And the reality is you have life and you have obligations, whether that's paying for your portion of rent in a five bedroom apartment in Washington Heights or a family and children. And I feel like the generation of young singers now will not have to spend so much time shaking off the shame of being talented at other things. We have to do a lot to uh, <laughs> stay alive, basically. Yeah. yeah. But no, I, I appreciate um, you kind of bringing up what the heck we mean when we're talking about an audition package, because I also think kind of going back to that audition techniques courses usually aren't taught until you're like a junior or senior. So I feel like, yeah, you have so many years of auditioning where you're just everybody kind of assumes, you know, how to put together an audition package, how to actually go in an audition, what those materials should have and shouldn't have. So I appreciate you kind of breaking that down because we don't really always address that. <laughs> That's important to know. Now that I've been teaching for over a decade, I spend a lot of my time both in the classroom and in a rehearsal room observing probably more than I do giving out directions and lecturing. And so I've just gathered things from everyone I've paid attention to. And there is a, a mystery to some of these things we talk about. And it's just assumed that you will know what they are. And in many ways you do like through osmosis and through just being in it, you learn a lot of it. But I think we have to be sure that we know there is no shame. No one is born knowing all the intricacies of anything. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, that was another thing that we've gotten into on the podcast a little bit is the tricky thing. You're an active opera director, so you are more than qualified to, to tell us. But sometimes when you are in this industry, you run into people who haven't had to audition in 20 years. And so they are somewhat removed from the current audition process. And so even though they are giving advice, they're giving advice for an era that has passed. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. And it's and and there's nothing wrong with having institutional knowledge. It's just knowing that we can't limit 
the future based on old parameters that perhaps don't exist. And I think part of unpacking this stuff and talking about it, it also makes you step back and say, oh yeah, why do we do that? And I think we're learning more and more that there are very important reasons that we need to stop and assess and think, take a more conscious approach to the things that we've just always assumed to be because that's just the way they are. You know, now it's interesting though that you said about being an opera director, because in all honesty, opera directors are not often involved in auditions in terms of like the professional industry. It's decided by people run companies, but directors will often be asked if they're searching for someone, if they know anyone. And I think that's often because despite the fact that a director might not be at the table to hear that 12 minute excerpt of the singer's body of work, a director has worked with someone for weeks and perhaps on multiple projects. So that recommendation comes from actually getting to know the person and getting to know their work ethic and their process and what they can accomplish. So I never begrudge that as long as I feel like I can advocate for the artists who, based on actual experience, I feel are great for the job. Yeah. I don't think uh, young artists yeah. spend enough time really developing that relationship with the directors that they work with and the conductors that they work with and even the like coaches and rehearsal pianists in the room. I think sometimes, I don't know, we, I think especially young, young singers, like we just almost feel like we distance ourselves because we're nervous yeah. <laughs> to, to really talk with you about things and, and to be in that vulnerable stages of building an actual relationship. But that is so helpful. You know what I yeah. mean? That's definitely not something we should shy away from. It's totally true. It, it is this feeling of you have to always be auditioning or this perpetual student. And I try to make this understood that, especially at the collegiate conservatory graduate postgraduate level, even though I might be a faculty member somewhere, my purpose is to make you all my colleagues. It's to make you be able to stand on your own in the world because that happens like you graduate and then if we work together we're colleagues and there's nothing that i can do to help you more than to teach myself out of a job and to get you to a place while you should always have your team and your mentors around you who give you supportive advice it is challenging to be the student in the moment and feel like you're having to always audition and it's a fine line between showing up and doing your best work and having to feel like I always need to show everybody that I'm in an audition, you know, which just gets a, a tenseness to it and starts to to build up that wall of feeling like you're constantly being scrutinized or judged as to whether you'll have the job again the next day. I think to develop that sense of collaborative independence. <laughs> So you can take the work seriously, but feel like you are working with people with, in which there is mutual respect, not simply respect because the teacher deserves respect. No okay. one, no one just inherently has respect if they're not behaving and working with people in a way that shows that they are to be respected. Yeah, definitely. Yeah wonderfully put within a package you know when mm. we're talking about structuring a package and obviously we just said like 
there's a wide breadth of things that you can bring in. But what are kind of the basics of like putting together a package? How much variety do we need? I'm an advocate for new works and have spent a lot of my career in many different capacities involved in new works. Um, so to see that on a resume, well, on a resume, but also in your package shows me, I, I think it shows me that you, the singer, are committed to exploring and supporting your fellow artists, composers, librettists. But also there are roles that I feel like in the ever-evolving canon that don't simply do a stereotypical like Fach, where you don't just have the the late lyric coloratura singing the same sort of character, it, they begin to break away from from that so that you can, if you are a, a, a voice that maybe if you sang just a narrow scope of repertoire, you're like, oh, everything I sing is like, really, these characters are really heavy, they're really sad. Or, you know, I think about this every time a young soprano will sing, you can fall into singing roles that feel shallow and I, I don't want to say specifically what they are because I that's I don't want to discredit the potential of what we those characters are. We all know exactly we know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah so it's, it's like not, it's an yeah. every young sopranos package. Yeah and so <laughs> so and so there are pieces that exist many of which are existing more and more that are newer pieces I'll say that give a person a chance to be a character that is not just a trope, right? So you don't just have to be stuck singing the fairy princess or the old stupid buffoon guy or the hero. It's not so stereotypical in terms of certain fox being certain characters. So to me, that's a great way. It does two things for me in terms of your package. I get to see that you are interested in doing music that you didn't simply find in an anthology that you got off the shelf that was copyrighted in 1960. And it shows me then that there's the potential to show a characterization and a personality that is not so tethered to those tropes from a certain era of opera yeah i think you're right though whenever we do pick up one of those arias because the simple fact of the matter is when you're a young soprano there there is just going to be kind of a, a big overlap with some of your contemporaries on what you're singing and so when you pick up something like pamina's aria you're going to have to bring that much more specificity and you're going to have to do that much more prep to really find your place in that aria and not copy what you've seen yeah absolutely and you know i had a student this week when we were talking about our plans this semester and exploring repertoire and new repertoire and also social justice matters within the canon within the repertoire and she also asked if we could like look at standard repertoire through the lens of today and i think that is just as important i was recently asked a question about like what piece would i never want to see done again and while there certainly might be pieces that are problematic i think more problematic is just this acceptance of bad interpretations of it. There are, these pieces are living, breathing pieces, and there's a way to interpret them both from a production and creative standpoint, from a character development point, where you don't need to have the ideology tethered to an old-fashioned idea of, for example, misogyny, that I think is 
so prevalent in the canon. But if you really know how to do your job, we don't need to throw pieces out unless they're overtly being completely racist or horrible to anybody. But if we could challenge ourselves to just think more creatively, I'm not saying that fairy princesses aren't important. You know, like everybody has a place. It's up to us to look at them with the knowledge that we have today and knowing better, we can do better. Yeah, it's up to us to bring out that humanity. Because I do joke a, a lot of the time because <laughs> Michelle and I both sang Pamina's aria. And, but one of the things that always gets me about that is the first time you pick it up, especially if you're young, is like you're like sad, 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 sad. <laughs> and there's so much to that character, but it can be hard. You know, Mozart really flipped for me back and forth between some really well-written women and some very shallowly written women. And I've ranted about Mimi on this podcast. <laughs> you you avoided saying the names. I'm going straight in. But um, Mimi, I, I laughed because I was like, Mimi is the every woman. Technically, you could project anyone into her, which is why it's so important that if you pick up that role, you have to bring a person into it. Yeah. To fill her up with someone who is specific and real and and has depth to their life that is more than flowers and embroidery. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think that there are the obvious ways to go about looking at who the good people are and who the bad people are, like the villains and the heroes. And it's all about context. And there is certainly a lot of opera that was written by, in a very Western tradition, white men writing about women and some really amazing women but Traviata was not written by someone who necessarily identified uh, with the title character of that piece but it doesn't mean that we can't look at it and advocate for those women and it doesn't mean changing the script it's just and in fact Michelle and I Michelle and I worked on a scene that was very specific about this where by just all these plots that sort of take the choice away and victimize the woman, but it's a slippery slope and it starts to then make women look stupid because we're we're just making it seem like, well, they should have known because we're playing to these obvious stereotypes. But you can really bring something that is much more humane and digestible by, to modern audiences and make these stories be more representative of the actual experience. And I think audiences want that. I mean, we all know when things feel like general and old fashioned and not relative and they start to feel silly. And then you could see a production of an, the same exact piece and it could feel so enlightening because it's been brought to the forefront by the work of the performers and those tending to it and making it like a real story about real people. Even if they're fictional people, we're still relating them to our experience. Yeah. And I'm on the same page as you in that the podcast as a whole, Michelle and I are huge, huge advocates for new music and bringing new opera to the stage. But at the same time, also revitalizing and breathing life into the pieces we do love. The things that may on the surface level seem shallow or sexist or things like that and bringing them up and filling them with humanity. Yeah. And I, I can like go off on like a million topics. So I, I don't want to get away from your question about the package. And I will say that I am aware that singers have an, a next to impossible job of having to adapt to whatever situation they're thrown into. So so much of what you're being asked to do in, in a production might not be 
based on what you believe it is, but what someone wants the production to look like or to feel like. There are people who are going to want to hear and see very specific things and who might only know a very narrow scope. My hope is that, again, that the industry is changing so that people aren't so limited. I don't want to mislead people and say, oh, you should do all things that were written in the past year on your audition and prove a point. I don't want to work you out of a possible job, nor should you throw, is there, I'm not saying throw anything away because it's not good because it's, you know, was written a hundred years ago. But I think that there's a way to represent who you are as an artist and stay true to you and be confident and believe in what it is you're doing, even though you're doing it maybe for people who have very vast tastes. Exactly. That's a great point. But I think whatever we put out there, we invite in, you know, as much as we do have to keep in mind that everyone has different tastes, there's also the reality of of putting out in the world the thing you want back, which is sometimes not going to be everyone's taste. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah. what a dream it would be if we could just decide that we don't want to do projects because we don't believe in what it's endorsing or that we don't have to just sort of take it because, well, that's just part of doing it, but that you could say, nah, that just isn't for me, you know, and that's, that's easier said than done. But I think that it is, there are inroads and there's ways to make that happen. Definitely. Yeah. Building those connections of taking the time to foster relationships with directors who do share similar values and viewpoints and ways of storytelling and continuing to work with them in the future. Yeah. Definitely. So we do, we have some, some high school listeners and we have some undergrad listeners. So I do kind of want to work our way through the do's and don'ts just Great. because in the light of not skimming over what an audition package yeah. is, breaking that down. Great. This is more or less a, a, a thing, a list of things that I've learned either the hard way or have just been told throughout the years. So mm -hmm. under the list of do's, I would definitely say, at least from my experience, practicing singing your package through and doing pieces in different orders will kind of give you a better perspective on how to transition in and out of pieces emotionally, technically, just giving yourself time to reset. And sometimes even though you can have two great arias that you can sing when you're not singing them back to back, Maybe you start with a certain aria so that you don't necessarily have to do a certain combination. And I think that that's not always something that we're told to really think about each audition season as we're preparing, because there's no point in guessing. You never know what the director or the, the casting or the conductor or whoever is on the panel is going to ask for. There's just no real value in trying to play that guessing game. So mm -hmm. I definitely think that Practicing your package in different orders will give you a lot of perspective on what to start with and how to move through it. Yeah, you agree I, with that? absolutely. And I think I always set this out as a goal in these classes. It often gets hard to fit it in, but to be able to stop and start. Now, I don't I don't know of any situation where someone's just doing drop the needle and saying, could you start on the third measure in the middle of this sustained note and go from there? You can sort of tell <laughs> like there's sec there's arias that you can break down like, oh, they might ask me to do it from this part to the end or, but I think being able to stop and start and uh, yeah, find the order that works for you. I mean, it's crazy to ask someone to sing a marathon. And so unless they're really trying to test your limits, I, I just feel like it's ludicrous that anyone would say, can you sing all five of your arias and expect them to all sound fresh in a matter of 15 minutes with no time in between to like shift but i think you do want to like understand and what your stamina is in the same way that if you were preparing a role it's not helpful to just sing through pamina 
you could probably get through the material in an hour, but that's not how the opera is laid out. You have to practice a role by singing it and then stopping and accounting for the time that you're not on stage. So you know what it's like to then go back in. If you're not in act two at all of an opera, like what does that feel like? So that you have to actually practice that, not just all the notes that the person sings. It's, it's very much akin to that. So yes, you're right, Michelle. Yeah, I would also say, I think the thing that's funny in auditions, and I still catch myself doing this, is you do have to account for that. I mean, sometimes like if you're singing bel canto and then you have to go and sing something more modern or Puccini, like you really do just kind of have to <laughs> rewire your, your thinking cap and put yourself in that new kind of position. Or even like if you do sing like a six or seven minute aria as your opener and then you have to sing something that's totally different. I think sometimes we literally just rush into the next piece. Like the director or whoever says, can we hear this? And you're just like, great, start. And it feels like when you take a pause, it feels like ages have passed. But I don't think it feels that way to you. Like, I think we can really give ourselves the time to just reset and really give ourselves a chance to put our best foot forward in the second piece. Yeah, I think like that's paying respect to the process and the craft, which is I you know, I can't in a good conscience encourage you to have strong character development and then act like it's easy to sing, you know, sort of mindlessly. So I think the, the task is to incorporate into your process practicing all of those things so you know where they live and that you can access them. And for those of us on the, the other side of the table, and I think for the most part, this happens to take that into account that we are sort of asking, it's a bizarre thing to be jumping around from, I mean, it's not bizarre to us because we're all used to it, but in the, <laughs> if you think about it, out of context, <laughs> it's very weird to be saying, and now do this, and now do this, and now do this. At the same time, you know, there's the idea that we're all performers, we're all actors in the world and we're playing the parts of, you know, I'm a son and uh, you're a brother and you're a friend and you're a student and you're a teacher. You know, we're all shifting and being different things for different people. So it's just a matter, I think, of, of getting those, in this case, characters so well known to you that you feel like even if it's not ideal because you didn't get to do it the whole opera and have the whole trajectory, you can be familiar with accessing those characters and be able to do that, the navigating of the switching of characters within a very small time frame yeah so young singers take a breather for a second take a <laughs> breather it's not take as a breather. long as you think <laughs> it's and it's your time you know it's like it's your time to be in there and if they're asking for more they want to hear more you know if you treat yourself with respect prior to being in the room hopefully you continue to give yourself that same respect while you're in the room and that you're not at the mercy of someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's another point too for recording yourself doing auditions or, or doing these things, because if you watch yourself back, I didn't realize just how much I rush through things when I'm nervous. Cause in my mind, we've been here for years <laughs> in an audition, but we have to watch ourselves cause we do just push ourselves to snap through it. And even then end up rushing pieces that you cannot rush. <laughs> yeah, it's a ton of adrenaline going into like a very small amount of time. And to take that breath and own that space can be a challenge in and of itself, which is why yeah. practicing auditions is a very beneficial thing. It gives you as much command over a situation 
that otherwise you feel like you don't have much control. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I learned a lot about when I started doing auditions and when I started sitting in on auditions and things was how much everyone in that room wants you to command that space. Nobody wants to see someone look nervous or feel nervous. They want you to do well and you want to do well. You're all on the same side. Everybody's on the same side. That's correct. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone wants you to do well. Everyone wants to find the best out of everybody. Definitely. Yeah, I think another good pointer is to even potentially have different audition packages. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, Sopranos, you're not always going to have that high E. And that's that's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's okay. You get sick. You get fatigued from traveling on planes. You get super dry. You have allergies. The voice is so fickle. And so I think having those different audition packages is totally appropriate. It doesn't say anything about your ability. You just have off days. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point, Michelle, one thing, and I hope that maybe this would bring some relief to singers. Everything is in flux. Everything is in transition. And... While I appreciate a singer sort of explaining to us on the panel, like the process or where they're at, or well, I'm sort of changing things and I'm changing, we all know, like you don't, you don't ever need to apologize for maturing and growing up, which is going to lead to different arias in your package or a shift in your voice. Like that's never, it's not only not a bad thing. And while everyone is a snowflake, and I mean that lovingly, it's not unique. You're not the only person who in their life has thought, well, I don't know, maybe I'm singing something different now. That's like totally, <laughs> totally okay. So don't ever feel like you have to apologize for that. And I think that there is a sense that people need to go out of their way to explain that a change is somehow a flaw, but it's just an evolution. There's no having to apologize for that. I love that. That's very true. <laughs> I won't ask you to speak for all directors on this, but because we're talking about how voices transition and how sometimes we're, you know, doing an audition in the midst of, of transitioning our voices, is it a little weird to have a package that may sit kind of in between two different fox? I mean, if you sing it all well, then you're proving the point that it's not. If it's a struggle to do it, then there's no point in hanging on by a thread. Like, it's not serving you. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. This to me also goes along with people who maybe change Fox, whether they're 20 years into a career or two years into college, that they feel like they have to somehow throw away their whole resume or nothing counts. You know, it's like, I know I'm not speaking for all people who are listening to auditions, but people get, I just think it's incredibly short-sighted and I would hope you would never, I hope that we could change it so that no one ever has to feel somehow apologetic for what they're singing simply because they've grown more into themselves right like i don't think you couldn't sing me me just because you sang a mezzo role seven years ago like or vice versa that if you're singing your best and you're doing what feels best now i think it's different if you personally feel very confused and so the tip of that iceberg was, I don't want you to feel apologetic, but I also want to be sure that you're not putting yourself in a position where you are lost in your own decision and that you haven't figured out how to navigate that for yourself. Now, there's obviously different things that you can be auditioning for that would help support you in 
finding where you need to be as a developing artist. But, you know, the, that system of classifying voices is simply a result of a generalized naturalization process of saying, oh, these roles sort of all fit together. And over time, that's changed. And we see that when we look at Mozart roles, that we'd probably be surprised to see the same singer who's premiered different roles. And we wouldn't think of casting necessarily like that today. But that's, I think, where we say, like, the idea of sing what you sing best. Like, if it's not a conflict with you, and that you're confident and that you sound great, then there's no shame in that. And it's not a challenge. No one's looking for you to come in and sing the Queen of the Night and Carmen. Like, that's just, you know, feels a little extra. And I'm not sure what the goal of that is. You can still love a character and love a piece and not sing it. You know, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think you do look at your package as a whole and you say, you know, what does each of these pieces have to offer about me? Because obviously, if you come in with Carmen and and uh, Queen of the Night, you are sending a mixed message there. <laughs> yeah, and people, whether yeah. you're, if, if you're doing a young artist program, people want to be able to serve you, and they you want to be there at the right time. You don't want to be somewhere where you don't belong, you know. And I know that's difficult because a lot of times you are very worthy of being somewhere, and you still don't get it. So it doesn't mean that it's the inverse is true. There are times, though, where you want to know that when you're going to be walking into an experience that you feel like it's the right time for you to be there so that everybody can be getting the most out of that situation. So knowing who you are and and what you do best will, I think, help get you there. And it's okay to be in transition with things, you know, and I think there's no there's no shame in that. And it's exciting. And I think if you're bringing like I said at the beginning, if you're bringing your full self and your work ethic to it, then it will lead you to the right place. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that that question about Fach has always been kind of something that weighs on me. And I don't know the more I think about it, because from directors that I've talked to, they share your sentiment a little bit more where it's like, as long as we can tell that you're not personally confused about what you should be singing, like, as long as you sing everything in your package well, like, great, like, shows range, cool, makes for an interesting audition. But I have been told by countless, like, voice teachers that having an audition package that is confusing, so to speak, that shows that you can do more than just your fach, like, will confuse directors, and that's a really bad thing. Like, I've been told that so many times. And I have definitely had a voice where, like, I'm cast as, like, soprano, mezzo-esque roles, like, in productions. But then in my voice lessons, I would sing high coloratura stuff. And I would always just be like, what am I? (laughs) Like, what the heck am I supposed to sing? I don't want to confuse directors. And I feel like I really didn't figure that out until, like, maybe this year. (laughs) Yeah. So it's very nice to hear that. Like you, I don't know, because I feel like from voice teachers, I've only ever just heard like, sing what you sing best. And it's like, but you're also telling me not to be confusing. So what do I do? Yeah. Well, and I think it it does take time, Michelle, for you to fight for a singer to find oneself. And it's sort of the the part of what can feel um, frustrating for me that in I get to sometimes work with singers in school and I'm like, I want to work with you in five more years. Like when you get a chance. Yeah. Not because you're not doing it now, but there's just a natural like 
growing into oneself. And it's exciting to get to see and be a part of that early, the early stages of that process. And I guess it's more of a selfish, like, I wish I was there to, you know, see the benefits of them fully becoming who they are. And I do want to say, like, I'm saying all of this under the understanding that your vocal technique and the work you're doing is all cohesive and going together. I, I think it, it it is a disservice if every day you're choosing the like low key and high key of Schubert songs and switching back and forth. I think training your voice does require a certain amount of focus and you have to really, you have to practice to know what it is you sing the best. and. Be sure that you're not giving up on something and that you're not not committing to a fox shouldn't be because you are discouraged and don't want to make a choice. You know what I mean? But that is just a system that is at this point there to help you. It, if it doesn't serve you, then we need to divorce ourselves from it and not worry about how we fit into the encyclopedia. Definitely. Yeah. You either sing it well or you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think the, uh, the the last big thing to do in an audition is practice slating your name and saying the names of your arias, your composers, and the, and please know what opera <laughs> your aria is from. That was a huge part of our class with Nathan at Boco was just how the heck do you say your name with confidence and like what is the tone that you need to go in with it and just like please god just know what know how to pronounce your stuff <laughs> yeah it's sort of like it, it again it's like learning how to read the room and be a human being and i don't mean that i'm not trying to be glib about that but how to again have confidence and enter the room and you're just sharing you know it's again you're it's not a test no one's trying to test you you want to have the correct pronunciation because you should want to have the correct correct pronunciation you should want to be able to say your name and want people to hear your name and be able to open up that's you know that's all part of it that's a ch that's more chance for someone to get to see who you are as a person i used to really criticize and not like this idea of people coming in and saying hello my name is but now in a world where not only are auditions being videotaped in the room but you were presenting video auditions it is really important to learn how to say your name because you are giving now, at least this season, primarily will be giving auditions in the form of video content. And you want to be sure that whoever is hearing that on whatever technology they have at home, that they are really clearly hearing your name. Important. Yes. Yeah. Do you have any advice as we this year and for a little bit for a little while longer and hopefully not too long, we're going to be doing so many video auditions. Do you have any advice for singers who are adapting to that format? Sure. And I will say that this is all a learning curve for me. So my like big word for 2020 and moving forward is transparency because the world is full of big questions coming up. And part of that is I'm asking those in the field whose work I value and admire who are doing some of this work for their opinions. So I'm learning every day. And there are students coming into the classroom who have like amazing experience with technology. And it's all about sharing that, right? Because when the tide rises, all boats rise. So from an aesthetic point of view, I'm not so concerned. And this is an industry wide sentiment, I feel that no one is judging anyone on their level of technology. Everyone is aware that it takes a different set of critical ears to hear what we would otherwise 
have be an acoustical experience filtered through a digital format. But there should be absolutely no economic sort of disparity. If you can't afford a recording studio, let alone really expensive equipment, whatever you have, if it's a good enough quality, you know, phone or computer that can hear sound and your image is clear, I don't think that any singer should be discouraged from doing anything just because they feel like they can't afford the best of the best in terms of technology. So that's all on a sliding scale and it can be as advanced or if that's really fun for you, go for it or find people to help you. For me, the video auditions that seem the best are when it's clear enough so that a singer can be back enough so that I could see part of your legs and your head. I don't need to see like your face. I don't need to see your feet necessarily because I, I fear it seems to me like if it gets too far away, the advantage to seeing your full body starts to like distort because it just gets blurrier and blurrier. But if you can, I'd love to see because I mean, we want to see close up, but like that, we crave to like be in the room with someone. So I do want to see your face. But if you're just setting something up to record yourself, although iMovie has this little like button you can press and it's called Ken Burns and it like automatically focuses and refocuses your camera. So it looks like you're in a Ken Burns documentary. So you can oh sort of sneakily achieve, as I discovered, far much more advanced film editing directing than you think but to see someone against a, ba a neutral background that that makes you pop just like you would think about a headshot right i want the you know the way they paint the walls in a museum that specific shade of gray because it makes the art stand out it's the canvas on which the canvas is for the medium that's being used something that lets you pop and again, it's about like seeing your aesthetic. It's about seeing that you have a level of taste and detail it makes me think that you cared to think about it. It's so tempting. I've seen people also like stage their arias it for for fun. Like, you know, people have used roommates to play the dead Orpheus or the dead Eurydice in their scene at Orpheus. Oh my um, gosh. I would not. That was not for an audition. I would not necessarily okay. recommend that. Although I love that. Though. I mean, if I'm being honest, exactly. That's amazing. I would be like. <laughs> I don't know who you are yet, but I'm going to know who you are. Um, but, but, it, but again, you don't want to upstage yourself and your opportunity, you know, by a gimmick. But to be able to like put yourself against a pretty clear palette, you know, I said to someone, I was like, I don't want to see the towel that you use to dry your hair off after your shower hanging in the background. Like we're all getting comfortable yeah. looking into people's homes, but it's like just, you know, just take some time so nothing else is distracting. And just to speak clearly and to obviously test it out, like just do, just test it out. There's always going to be mistakes. And even at our return to schools where we do a bunch of entry auditions, people who were very savvy had technical mistakes. And I was so glad that singers could practice having those experiences because it's just going to happen. There are going to be days where maybe your internet goes out and you're supposed to be doing a live audition. And to just be able to accept and know like this is this is okay like don't let that be what freaks you out like it's all all right we're all working under the same sort of pressure um so that you can still feel confident and not like a victim of your circumstances 
But yeah, I would just say getting a good, being able to see a good portion of your, of your whole, as much of your body as possible while still being able to see your face and just putting yourself in an aesthetic and a light and, and in lighting that allows you to be seen. And then of course the sound quality and that does take some consideration. Yeah. So definitely do practice recordings and check back and adjust settings. And there are so many nice internet guides now to help. So luckily we do have people putting out their resources. And if you learn totally. something, put it online, tell your friends, put it in those Facebook groups for singers. We, we all need to help each other as much as possible. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's what people are hopefully doing. And it's all, that's all anyone's trying to generate are like, you know, if you have a budget of a thousand dollars or you have a budget of $50 to get this better or whatever your resources are like here's how to get the best out of that yeah and sharing it is great there is an opportunity to make something beautiful and even more in a scene perhaps because you can be in your own space where you don't want to look directly into the camera but in the same way that in a live audition i would say put your focus in the um, on the people in the the imaginary people in the row behind the panelists so that you're bringing them into the scene the same thing. Don't like, stare down your panelists. Yeah, perform to the room, but don't like, yeah, you don't want to look like a serial killer coming into the camera who's going to, yeah. Pro tip number one. Don't look like a serial killer. Pro tip number one. Yeah, well, that was always the first thing in auditions that you panic about is like, where do I look the first time you do it? And you, people either do the way too high up or the way too too much eye contact with the director. Yeah, you have to remember so that true. the whole point we do this is to make connections with people and to give people the chance to be a voyeur and watch art unfold. And so you want to you want to bring people in, but you don't want to stare them down. Yeah, don't make them a scene partner. Right, correct. And don't let them <laughs> be a scene partner. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, definitely. We got another question from a listener, and um, we kind of already talked about COVID auditions, but they asked, how is COVID changing what auditions will look like going forward? So I, I guess to make it more specific, do you really see whenever the heck COVID perhaps is not as much of a thing in our day-to-day -day lives, do you think there are any kind of aspects of these video auditions or the way that we're conducting things now will will continue in the future? Yeah, well, I can say that from my experience working in education because we kept going and, and that's not a criticism of companies that were forced to close, but we kept teaching and I, you know, I thought, OK, we're going to do this stuff by video. Hopefully by the end of the semester, we don't all hate each other. But the work, <laughs> the the things that happened were incredible. Like I saw singers change so much and their peers saw it like this incredible growth happened. And there was something, you know, you have to bite that bullet and get over this idea of watching yourself. I mean, it's ironic that as performers, we all want to get up on stage and be in the limelight. And then we like cringe at hearing our voices or seeing <laughs> ourselves. And it's like, that's a very complex system that's happening inside of our complex, delicious minds. But <laughs> we had to like get over this like, oh God, I don't want to, or this feeling of, well, I don't know, I made a video Wednesday, but I feel like this isn't due till Friday and I think it'll be better on Friday. Eventually people were like, you know what? I just made, it, it often started with, you know what? I made this and I was like, forget it. This is just what it's gonna be. And I was like, that's exactly right. Everything you're doing is is, is exactly what it should be today. It'll be different, maybe better. Maybe you won't think it's better tomorrow, but that has proved to be really valuable because I think as singers specifically, we only videotape 
quote unquote performances. We rarely videotape our rehearsals and watch ourselves. I know a lot of singers do listen to their lessons or coachings that they record, but it's been sort of revelatory, like, oh yeah, I'm like using my whole body to do all this. Maybe I should watch what I'm doing. And you can't escape it because while we don't have that ephemeralness of the live performance, there were things that, you know, Michelle, I would have said in a class where we were working and not that you ever did this, but if it was like, you know, Michelle, you really like every time you sing your right out, your right arm flaps like a bird and people are like, oh, yeah, I know it did that. And somehow we just like skipped it and thought the next time we do it, it'll be gone. But when you have to watch it on the video, once you get over the painfulness of like feeling like you're forced to watch the thing you don't <laughs> want to watch yourself do, you can't escape it. And there's just this like embracing of reality that's like, I do do that. I don't like that I do it. It's OK that I do it. And now I'm going to now I'm going to talk about it like I'm I'm not going to I can't hide from it. So I hope that aspect, in addition to the content that's going on, I don't know about you guys, but I have engaged in more content that's been streaming than I have, like all sorts of things, whether they were dance performances or gala performances, things that I normally wouldn't have even been able to go to travel to do had it happened in real time, I engaged in. And so it rather than make me think, well, I don't want to do anything because it's not live. It actually provided me the opportunity to do more than I would have typically done. And I think as long as we can start to get away from doing everything for free, which was maybe charming at the beginning, we need there are way there are ways that we can figure out to make it affordable and accessible to people. No, I mean, I think that's like a win win. I saw a study or a, I think this was part of a, a Upper America conference, but someone was re re comparing it to when they first started broadcasting NFL football and that the networks, I'm not an expert in this, I wasn't prepared to, to quote this, but it's something like the networks would not air a game if the stadium wasn't sold out to a certain extent because they mm. thought that by putting football on TV that it would lower ticket sales and fan base until they quickly realized it only made it all much more desirable on all fronts. So as long as we can be sure that we're not asking artists to make a whole bunch of content at their expense and then also not pay them for it, we have to figure out how to monetize it and sell tickets and make it affordable and accessible. But I think it's only going to encourage the performing arts and seeing live arts and that'll just become a part of your, you know, balanced diet of what you consume. So I hope that stays around. And... In terms of auditions, man, it is a lot of work, even for students, from my perspective, from Boston, to take a four-hour bus trip back and forth to go to do an audition is consuming, time-consuming, it's expensive, it's, it's, it is, can be disastrous to a rehearsal schedule if you're rehearsing something during that quote-unquote audition season and every day you have one to a few singers at different times having to leave to go do auditions. There's something very nice about this process being streamlined and that there could be a way to make it more efficient, more cost-effective, more achievable, ultimately more accessible to singers who are already having to incur costs. So I think I am in no way saying let's never do live singing or trying to it's not either or. I think there are definitely takeaways that can make 
this whole business come out better on the other side. Like there are real ways, not just dream ways. I think there are actual things that we should be saying. This is this is actually a very critical component to how this could be better. Yeah. I think the interesting thing is, at least from a singer's perspective, when we were not in COVID factors or under COVID factors, it was like, I would never send a recorded audition and like as a final step if I had the chance to do it live. Because right. I think from a singer, I was like, how do I know they're even going to listen to it? Like, there's just no way it could live up to my live audition and then you spend like five hundred dollars six hundred dollars to do each live audition and you've spent like thousands of dollars on an audition season and i think now because of covid and the fact that we just have to do recorded stuff there's not really that sentiment towards recorded auditions and so it really could be a way more cost effective and therefore inclusive way of conducting auditions in the future even right. if we do return to live like yeah. so many more people you could spend that 500 that you would spend on a single live audition on just getting yourself a really nice recording setup you know i, I was gonna say so, exactly yeah. that like imagine what that 500 dollars could do if you decided to do a concert with your friends for your community like that money if you had access to it instead of doing that it could be going to actually what we all say we're wanting to do which is to better our communities with art it could be going towards that. Like it could be going towards the real work, not the unnecessary pitfalls. Yeah. And the beauty of these online concerts and these online masterclasses and things, whether they're live or pre-recorded, it is that accessibility factor. If I want to watch only half of it because I've also got to run and do something else, I can. And it's not, you know, rude to the person who you're watching. You you just have that ability. And I think we forget as musicians who love to see people live that just not everyone has that time or opportunity. And so that accessibility when we get over, because Michelle and I have an episode where we talk about just getting over the fact that we all, you know, think live music is the only way to experience something. We have to get used to online formats because that's, you know, exactly as you said with the NFL thing, that's how audiences grow. Not everyone wants to go see their first opera. I had somebody tell me they never listened to opera because they started on a Wagner CD. And I had a lot to say about that. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when we give people that ability to choose and stop and start, as much as we would love for them to sit down in a concert and really get the full picture, we open ourselves up to so much more. Yeah. And, and not only does it um, make it more convenient, but it makes it more accessible because... I love live theater, like, don't get me wrong. The point is it can be both things. It doesn't have to be this or this. The fact is, is that we live in a society and in a, our industry where the convention of theater is a very culture specific one. And even if we say, oh, we're going to do, we're going to do an opera by a black composer with multi, a black artisan or multicultural, like, and then we're all going to filter it through an experience that is very white eurocentric and think that everyone's just going to come in and that's not how people consume art around the world so it's almost like laughable that we think just because we sort of present this piece that looks like we have this commitment to diversity equity and inclusion but then do it in a platform that is intimidating not accessible not familiar and we're trying to say oh come and like join our community as long as you act like our community acts I mean, hello, therein lies a huge conflict, right? So yeah. to break away from 
forcing people into that narrative and yeah to be able to say it's it's accessible to watch it at home and you can do things that maybe you can afford it for a family you could have you could buy one pass that you can invite a whole bunch of people over you know when we don't have to quarantine but you you could buy a ticket to see a ballet for an entire family not individual tickets like that's amazing and that's what we all say we want and until we realize that we have really sort of painted ourselves into a corner with our old models of looking at things even when we think that we're being aware and woke until we really embrace that and think how do we really make the difference we say we're wanting to make we'll continue to fall into these traps so yeah i think that you know what is the saying the like necessity like mother the mother how creativity comes out of necessity necessity is the mother of the, invention yeah that i think we now are like having to see that and we we have the opportunity to use that yeah do we have any more questions from listeners one of our friends asked which is more preferred well-known repertoire or less popular rep mm. i think sometimes we get really bogged down by who makes the list why am i blanking of like the arias that everybody sings oh like the free our, our, the aria frequency list yeah yeah i think sometimes we freak out about stuff like that or even like you know when you are sitting and you're like an hour early to your audition and you've heard every single soprano go in and start with pamina's aria and you're like sweating outside the audition room like i know is that it, really something to freak out about well it, it's funny is there a preferred yeah it's funny that you say that because there will be days in the way that or there will be times in the way that i've organized like an audition techniques class where i'll have intentionally singers sing the same thing on a day and then i'm always asked by one of them like oh did you want me to change what i'm singing and i'm like well you know i intentionally i'm the one who wrote that and i'm like no i actually want you to have that experience because not only is it going to happen by circumstance but if you're auditioning for a season you're gonna have to get used to what it's like to have a musetta go before you and after you if they're casting bohem or just because people sing it so i think that list is a really great it's like an amazing thing that wolf trap sort of created it's a great resource and i think it, that can help you look at it's a resource. It just help. It just gives you data to help make some decisions. What is really hard to answer in terms of these questions, as you were saying, Michelle, is like there's only so much guessing you can do until you just drive yourself crazy, and then it's like, well, I can either have my business be about guessing, or I can have my business be about singing. Which one am I going to choose? And I think if you if you have any insight as to who's listening to you and what it is they're programming, that can help you decide. Just like if you know a company does musicals, you're going to put a musical theater piece that you have practiced and rehearsed, <laughs> not just thought, oh, I'll throw in Wonder of Wonder, Miracle of Miracles from Fiddler on the Roof, and I'm sure it'll be fine. But to actually like rehearse it. And if you see that they do contemporary works, then do it. I think that I think it can be risky to put stuff on there, even if you are involved in the creation of new pieces with composers to do something that your friend wrote and no one's ever heard i would hate for you to not have the opportunity to sing even though the intention is to support that new work and do that new work i think that 
you don't want to make what you're doing inaccessible to people. But to guess, you know, there are people who don't know what handle is. So that has nothing to do with when it was written. There's just people out there making decisions who have no idea really what the rep is and who don't have ears and don't really know what they're looking for. They're looking to just categorize, which is the type of work I think our culture could shift to framing like we don't need to do that kind of a singer doesn't need to sign up to do those kind of auditions anymore. But I think if you have a good mix, I love to see con contemporary work. And by contemporary, I mean like living composers work. You know, Britain is not modern music. And I actually using the word modern as more of a joke. But to have really <laughs> like, and I love Britain, I love seeing Britain on the list too. But I think to see contemporary work, if they don't know it, then they won't ask for it. But I think you should stick by your guns. And the thing is more, if more and more people are putting it on their list, then if people aren't paying attention, they need to wake up and see it. So I think that there's also no reason why if you sing incredible bel canto repertoire, there is work out there that has been written in the past 20 years that you can also sing and would be beautifully, uh, sound beautiful in your voice. So absolutely do it. And just be sure that the people who are you're collaborating with um, have what they need to make that possible, i.e., that your collaborative pianist doesn't feel like you've thrown a complete <laughs> curveball at them by asking them to reduce on site an orchestral score because there's no piano reduction for that piece. Like that's that's not yeah. great. But um, I, yeah, I I'm just an advocate for new work, so I think just put it on there. Like keep fighting the good fight, even if no one asks for it. But now and then pay attention that you're putting a piece on there. But hopefully you're singing from more and more places that are wanting to hear repertoire that has been written by people within the last decade. Yeah, that is the true curse of new rep is, of course, there are some pieces that are not often performed because they are really hard to do if you do not know your uh, collaborative pianist. That's the only real warning you need to know is that some some pieces don't get a lot of audition time because they are simply things that you spend forever with a collaborative pianist. Obviously, if you have the the ability or the privilege of bringing in your pianist, then great, do whatever you want. But yeah, yeah, make sure Definitely. make sure you talk to your friends who are collaborative pianists about pieces before you maybe throw it to someone you've never met. Yeah, and you know Definitely. what? W worst case scenario, if it makes people uncomfortable for whatever reason or they opt not to, that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean you can't say, "Oh, I could." If that's the one English piece you do, you could say, well, I, you know, I could sing. You can learn another song in English and have it there if it's, yeah. you know, but at least A you're backup. at least you're being the artist that you are intending to be. Yeah. For those of us who are native English speakers, though, that is also the beauty of new music is, you know, the English rep in in opera. It, while it's not so thin, it's not nearly as expansive as some of the other languages. So as you get more modern rep, there's more stuff that relates to. Yeah, you know, there's nothing like singing in your native language. There's just something about it. You have an emotional connection to those words. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. This one made me laugh a little bit because I think this perfectly just shows like how confused young artists can be about what the heck directors mm. are looking for. So this mm. person uh, asked all the questions in a single question by saying, what exactly is important to him? Clothing? right rep or a good voice stage experience <laughs> so i love that because i think at yeah. every point and even like after you've been in the audition sphere for a while like you do have those moments where you're like 
am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? But what I do, I, what I would like to focus on is as a director, obviously, like, you know, depending on what level program or what it is that you're auditioning for, you do want to see that this person has some stage experience, correct? Mm -hmm. But what do you notice or what goes through your mind when you perhaps see... So for me, an example, I did a couple roles in 2018 and I haven't done a full role since Mm -hmm. with COVID and everything. And I think that that's going to be true for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. even though we're doing this role study on the side and these virtual scenes or whatever... Is that really anything to worry about? Or if somebody takes a couple years off to start a family, is that, should we think of that as such a big red flag, I think, as we tend to? Or do you just kind of like not care? No, I mean, I think that if you are doing, as, as as a human being, if you are prioritizing the things that are important to you in life so that you are moving toward your fully realized self then that means if you took time off to have a family or to have a have a child that that was important to you and it was only going to further enrich and encourage you to keep making what you're doing like to keep making the you're going to sing everything differently now having had that experience right and you'll either come out of that experience and it's perfectly fine if you're like yeah i don't really want to sing anymore or i want to really focus on something else in this forced time off Without sounding like you could take a language, look at all your languages, which is just like, okay, we get it. But what <laughs> up? we're all doing things that help us realize more of who we are, like of what's important, of reprioritizing, of things that should get you to the, should get you closer to what you should be doing. And if that happens to be similar or very close to what you were doing before this time off happened, then fantastic. And it should only show up in your work. That no one's going to say, that was a fantastic perform. Oh, wait a second. They haven't done anything (laughs) since then. Forget it. Who wants that great performance? You know, that. of course, there are going to be people out there who don't know how to make choices and are only working off the work of other people and are going to look at a resume and not know how to think any differently. But I think that as long as you keep honing and cultivating the things that interest you and inspire you and keep 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 your eye on living up to your own desires and standards expectations you'll be in the exact right place and no one should feel apologetic about certainly this time off or a a chosen time off you know i love that yeah yeah Yeah. helpful and encouraging (laughs) awesome and i think i just want to i just want to say in terms of that question in clothing because i used to subscribe to this like well women should cover their arms and like don't have bare legs and now I'm like you should wear whatever you want to wear that was me saying giving you advice and I would say that there are probably people out there who would still criticize you for that but guess what it's we don't need to do what other people tell us to do and I there should be no like body shaming or being afraid of like doing something that's going to offend someone I mean obviously knowing I'm not saying going into an audition like feeling uncomfortable or vulgar in some way or offensive like slogans on your (laughs) t-shirt but you should wear what makes you feel really great performing because I'll tell you what I've seen some real offensive costumes on stage of some of the same promoted and made by some of the same people who would criticize someone for wearing a dress with no sleeves so they don't got any any room to (laughs) criticize what people are wearing oh my gosh I love that there you go 
You heard it here. Free the knee. Isn't that it? Free the knee. That's the saying. Free the knee. (laughs) Yes. Free the knee. Wow. What a throwback to to some of the comments I've got on some of my dresses. (laughs) So one of our listeners asked, how is the opera world adjusting to the social change happening currently? Mm. It is happening. And I think there are those who are embracing it and maybe those who are struggling. And to give anyone the benefit of the doubt, it's not an easy thing to do. And I don't want my own personal advocacy for this to be a threat to those who feel behind the curve. Um, because mm-hmm. it takes work. And part of that is admitting like, okay, I have to start somewhere. And of course, there are people who I, I'm sure, and I have to keep this in mind, because I tend to like, want to focus on moving forward. I'm sure there are people who are digging their heels in because it just means it has to threaten their comfort, right? That it's, uh, it's complacency there's complacency because it's about being lazy and not wanting to take a stand. But I think that we need to begin having these conversations. I think my privilege has afforded me, and I mean that as both my privilege of being a white male in this country and in this art form, so predominantly controlled by, uh, historically by people like me, But also my privilege of working with young artists is I get to, even if it is at the college level, begin to invest in an education that talks about these things. And I think we assume that somewhere this work is all being done by people and that there's just no room because there's so much we have to get done in training programs. Because as I we talked about earlier, the repertoire is vast. You, you can't possibly cover everything. You can't, in your audition, sing in 12 minutes everything that you do. But I think you we have to be able to begin to get out of the silos and think that this is all sort of like in a vacuum. It is all together. It is all part of the problem, and it's also the way out and into the solution. So I think there are, I see a lot of work that companies are doing in terms of not just simply diversifying casting, but looking at the entire infrastructure from company administration to who's backstage. And and I think the most important right now in my mind thought is about access and giving people access to these things. Because I think it's a trap that the industry, and I'm not saying that to disconnect myself from it, it's an industry I participate in, that as a whole, we've said, well, we just have to hire the best person who can do it. And that's not enough because we've not, those, not everyone has been given the same access. So I've been spending, it's to have these conversations, I know is funny because we never know where everybody else is at on this journey and i can just say for me and i only say this not to you know toot my own horn in any way but i think it helps people to know how to make first steps after this summer i spent while my instinct was to want to start fixing everything which in and of itself is this white savior complex thing that is detrimental as well 
I really like took breaths and started listening to online forums, podcasts that friends and colleagues of mine were having. Um, LA Opera had a panel. Karen Slack has done a big series on many aspects of accessibility in the industry. And I just started reaching out to some current and also former students of mine who identify as BIPOC. Um, who I had already felt close to. And I wanted to know first, would you be willing to talk to me? Are you interested in it? Because I need to know the work that I can do for them and what they see. And, you know, people have been more than willing and almost enthusiastic, thankful to have the chance to talk about it. It can be nerve wracking. It can be scary to start these conversations. But for me, I feel like I spent a long time actually in the past couple of years having this guilt of I am taking up the space in an industry where we need more voices from of women, of BIPOC, of like, who am I? Do we need one more white man to be in charge here in any way, making decisions? And this movement has actually given me a reason to feel like my stepping aside does not guarantee that a person who would maybe take my place and i just say that not specifically it's not going to just automatically mean the next person is going to be the person who i think deserves it and that i actually can do work and advocate and support those people who i want to see at the forefront. So I hope that this, what we see happening really takes shape and that this generation of singers, we finally begin to realize they are making the industry. That's what we need to support. Luckily, for better or for worse, we won't, well, this part is for better. We don't need to go back to the silver lining to losing our footing here in the social construct that we had. We now can say, great, now we can do things better and we can be better advocates and we can give better access. And hopefully that becomes part of the dialogue. We need to see representation on all fronts. We need to support our each other and we need to understand that there are ways that all of us can do work to support people and to keep doing that work to not give up to not step aside because either you have the fear that i had that what right do i have am i really living up to what i want to do i should just back out but that's not advocating that's not encouraging my friend dana actually says it is difficult it is hard to have difficult conversations and if you're okay with that then we can figure it out yeah I don't, said. I don't know if that gives Absolutely. a lot of specifics, but and I think we can hopefully start to discern. I, for one, am looking at what who am I getting involved in? What comp like I just want to know where people stand. I want to know what you're doing. I want to know what steps are you taking? And if we can be discerning in our work and start to make those decisions for ourselves, because look, I what did I have to lose? There wasn't much work anyway. So it was like, well, <laughs> here's the opportunity. Let go of feeling like you know, we're all, as artists, always so hungry to survive. But now we can really maybe check ourselves and think, what is it that I, I stand for? You know, and, and it is hard. 
I have, I have felt, and again, this is coming from me, a white man who is, what right do I have to say this? In that I have felt the, the resistance. I have felt the, what I thought was going to be like a celebratory, like, yeah, let's do it has been met sometimes with what I'm attributing to people just don't know. Like they're afraid to take any steps because they're afraid to be wrong. They're afraid to do something thinking that they'll be criticized for it. And you have to be okay to be criticized for it. You have to be okay to learn. But hiding from it is just so detrimental to so many other people. And I'm just not sure how we can either train artists or make art we think is important, whatever it is, if we do not talk about and treat this as a, as something that is important to the human condition. It's not either or. We don't talk about making and producing music and art or social justice. There is no reason to do anything if we don't change and reassess how we have wrongly approached these issues um, that have plagued the industry for so long. We've skated by on very old-fashioned and increasingly fragile attempts to cling to a tradition, and it just has to stop. We just, I'll put it in a positive way, we just have to start doing the right things. That's where yeah. I'm at with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think as as young artists, we have to remember that even though so much of the time we are kind of, you know, molding to different people's wishes and different companies' expectations of where we should be at in our careers and what we should be doing and what we should be auditioning for. But you are an individual. Once again, you live outside of this box of I'm a musician, that's all I do. And so you do have to take responsibility of who do I want to work with, you know, who has the same values that I do, who's supporting the same message that I want to support. How can I work with people, you know, who I kind of know where they're at with all of this, you know, it's, yeah. it's important. And that in and of itself can be a privilege because, you know, obviously we need work <laughs> and we're not always yeah. in that position, but standing up for what you believe in, definitely. You get to choose what you audition for and who you work with. Yeah, and see, this goes, ties into what we were saying earlier about this old, antiquated, if you can think you can, if there's anything else you'd rather do, do it. Well, this situation is a threat to those people who lived by that because they have decided that they were not going to do anything else other than this. And now that this is becoming susceptible to collapse, of course those people are scrambling. But for this new generation of people who can say, well, that's crazy, I can do many different things, it gives the power to us and to all of us to say, I don't need this so desperately because it's not the only thing that is giving me both financial but also personal satisfaction. So if this is a bad situation, I don't want to have to just grin and bear it because I've made the choice to do it and put nothing else and make anything else a priority. So it's sort of like all goes together and it's very empowering if we just let go of some of that or at least start to unpack it of that old fashioned thinking. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I am so, so grateful that we could have you on the podcast. You've been so insightful and coming in with your experience, but also your openness to everything and your advocacy for new opera. I mean, it's, you are the perfect person to come and speak to our audience. And it's, 
just been so lovely. Well, I'm glad you asked me. I really loved it. I would do anything Michelle asked me to do. And now I would do anything you asked <laughs> me to do, Jesse. Um, Yay. So <laughs> I, awesome. I well, it. Nathan, you offer personal coachings and you also offer some kind of group audition focused classes, correct? So can you tell our singers a little bit about what you offer? Because I'm sure everybody <laughs> wants to work with you after this discussion. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the thing. It's okay if you don't like to work with me. And I know some people get to sign up to work with me, but some people have to register and take a class at a conservatory that maybe I'm not their favorite. And that's okay. I'm not saying that I'm for everybody. But I've always coached singers and have had singers want to coach and for different reasons, whether I've known them very well and it's they we can just sort of dump, jump right into our process or they're just trying to figure out, you know, how to maybe they've never really done a lot of work just because their own background and experience hasn't provided much of an experience to delve deep. But I've I've always just loved the ensemble nature of training together. And as you know, Michelle, I have talked about like at a school, you maybe didn't choose all the members of your ensemble, but learning how to have those ensemble skill sets and the ability to observe and to provide critical response and feedback to each other, that is transferable to any situation you find yourself in so that you can raise your cast in any production or your the your colleagues in any situation and and treat them with that mentality so i've wanted to always have a place where singers could continue to work with each other because i think it's hard after you leave a school while it can be refreshing to have like some space again <laughs> you miss yeah. that like community you miss singers spend so much time by themselves so i had always wanted to have classes that were affordable because i'm very cognizant of like the expense that the expenses that are incurred that are affordable and also that stay to a small number because if it gets too big it's too easy to fall into the cracks and then not have that experience so these classes were developed with the intention of keeping them small so that's why one of them is now full but the there's a second session um and they're for six to ten singers and it's just a place to start to share whatever that work is, whether it's just to give yourself, you know, I think the point of audition technique and preparation is that so you can go into a situation, if nothing else, feeling like I have, I have practiced this. This isn't just me singing the song I've practiced a million times. This is me going in, having done all the work on the material and having practiced as uh, an audition simulation to some extent. So that's the p purpose of these and that it could really be for anybody because, you know, the, the level it, it's about being able to critique and, and, and attack your art and maintain yourself and your own dignity. It's not meant to tear anyone down. It's just so that you can make your work better and ultimately get so nice a job. So, and it'll we be, love that. it'll be very interesting. <laughs> yeah. It'll be very interesting to see it online and to see different, you know, it's not limited to just if people can be in a certain city, it'll be, um, open to anybody and everybody. And if you had a friend who lived on the West coast and you were on the East coast, you can have a little in class like reunion time and hear each other. So I think it'll be fun and hopefully it'll give people also a chance to have shared communication about what they've discovered in terms of 
technology or experience. Because um, I, I, I know that singers um, are feeling a little isolated and no one needs to be feeling isolated. So I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome. So if you want to sign up for Nathan's group classes, you can sign up on his website, which is nathantroop.com. We'll have that linked in the episode description, and you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram to get that link. His second session starts on Thursday, October 1st. So that's coming up. So there's only six spots left. So if you want to register, it's the five. I just finished my registration. Yeah. Oh, five. Oh, no. Okay. Well, after me, maybe four. So you better, <laughs> you better really <laughs> so run. Michelle and I, there will be four spots left. <laughs> so it's over six hours over five weeks, correct? Yeah. So it's, it's, is each, right? it's a, this is, it's one day a week. So Thursday and it's five sessions. So it's a total of like six hours and 15 minutes or something for the perfect session. Yeah. Yeah. And it's $135 for that course, which, is very very affordable so definitely check that out nathan will you be offering future sessions of this course past this is that yeah that's my plan you know i really got to do this i what came to do this because again i was trying to figure out even though i'd have people contact me about do it like can you do it Would, could you be coach could we do this i was really then trying to figure out what singers needed because i don't need to create something superfluous that people don't need so I'm just sort of responding to what people need. And if feedback from this class turns out that people want more or they could really use something else, then if it's within my wheelhouse and my skill set, yeah, I'm up for like if there's a demand and an interest for it, I love to do it. So hopefully this will be something that, yeah, if, if people want to do it, I will keep offering it and adding more sections. Because again, I always want to keep, I think it's just important to keep the number, especially online, manageable so yeah. that you feel like you're getting yeah. the attention that you deserve and staying in, engaged. So yes, hopefully there will be more. Definitely. So we will keep our audience updated as sessions open and everything. So we don't hoard your time. <laughs> yeah, great. Yes. I'll, keep, I'll keep you posted too. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Nathan, it's been a true pleasure. Yes, I've loved this. All right. And that's all for us today. Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you want to continue this conversation, if you want to propose questions for our next interviews, please, please, please go follow us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Opera Offstage, or you can go in, onto our website, opera-offstage.com, and access us there. We'd love to have you. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.